Welcome to episode two of Tailoring Tech and Talk with me, Roberto Revilla. I'm a bespoke tailor, menswear designer and owner of Roberto Revilla London Suit and Shirt Makers. This podcast is for anyone interested in clothing, personal image and business, but we'll also throw in a bit of technology and lifestyle talk from time to time, since I'm passionate about all things to do with great design. I'll also be talking to a different guest each episode, including our customers who are from a vast range of different business backgrounds, our suppliers in fabrics and accessories, and owners of some of my favourite brands. My hope is that you'll learn something new, meet some interesting people and be inspired to get involved, either by commenting on each episode or even joining me as a guest. You're going to get so much from this episode. This week I'm talking to Dr. Usman Qureshi of Origin Orthodontics. We'll be talking about what inspired him to enter the world of dentistry, what dressing well means to him, how he continues to build a successful business and his passion for teaching others. Enjoy. It's a pleasure and a privilege to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Usman Qureshi of Origin Orthodontics. Uzi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Bobby. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I feel very uh, honoured to be on your podcast today. The honour's all mine, trust me. <laughs> so where do I find you right now? Are you at home or are you still at the clinic? I am in my home, tucked away in my little study, and I've uh, just had my evening meal and just trying to unwind before the rest of the week. I mean, you've been working really, I mean, even harder than usual over the last year with the pandemic. But before we get into COVID and so on, and how that's affected you, I just want to kind of skip back a little bit. You've been exclusively an orthodontist for over 15 years now, but you obviously started as just a classic dentist. I don't know if that's the correct term. Yeah, well, my story goes back a little bit beyond that, actually, Bobby. My story goes back to when I was a teenager. As a teenager, I didn't have the best teeth and I didn't have the best uh, sort of confidence in myself at the time. I had a fantastic orthodontist who made a big impact on my on my life at that time. And when I got through that journey with him, I thought, do you know what? I really want to be an orthodontist. And that's the real story as to why I wanted to become an orthodontist. And, you know, I soon found out that, you know, to be an orthodontist, I've got to go to dental school and after going to dental school, I have to sit more exams and so on. But ultimately, the the desire to become an orthodontist started way back before uh, even sitting an exam uh, and, and went back as far as, as to when I was maybe a little 13-year-old boy. So for me, being an orthodontist was something I always wanted to be. And it was just, it, it, was, a, it was a passion and a desire that I wanted to follow from an early age. And I'm quite lucky in that sense that it never actually feels like a job because it's what I always wanted to do. And, and that's really the beginning of my, my journey into my profession and into my career. So just touching on the impact that that orthodontist had on you when you were a child, having confidence issues, him taking mm. care of you, and then obviously the, the impact that that had on you, 
made you want to do that for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the number one reason why most orthodontists love what they do, because you're not just creating a smile. You're not just straightening people's teeth. You're, you're giving people the confidence to go out there and really feel good about themselves. You know, as orthodontists, we come across a lot of children, a lot of teenagers. That's sort of the main uh, group of the population that we care for. Not exclusively who we care for. We see many adults just as much as children. But as, as young teenagers growing up in this world, they're all finding their feet, if, if you like. And, and, and part of that is having confidence in yourself. And there's quite a strong relationship between certain types of uh, orthodontic problems as well as sort of confidence issues and quality quality of life issues uh, and so when we're doing orthodontics the thing that you know we're really doing is giving people their confidence back to feel good about their smile their teeth themselves uh, at a very precious time for many people you know at a key stage of their development so that is why we do what we do and obviously we we often see the same in some of the adults we treat as well. So it's not all about cosmetic treatments to make people look more beautiful because it's it's a bit more than that for many of our patients. Admittedly, some, it is purely a very small, minor cosmetic uh, correction for some of our patients, but for many, it's a lot more than just a cosmetic correction for them. Yeah, and you don't just treat patients now. I mean, you're extremely experienced. You're very, very good at what you do. So thank you. <laughs> you've also moved into lecturing and teaching on, on top of running a very, well, not just one busy clinic, but multiple busy clinics. Mm. So tell me a bit more about the teaching side of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I would say that the teaching side of it is perhaps the single biggest investment I have made in myself uh, from a professional perspective like many investments it often happens by accident probably the primary reason I found myself involved in teaching was I was coming towards the end of orthodontic school and I had some really big mentors around me some 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 colleagues and consultants that I was learning huge amounts from and my primary reason for staying in that university teaching environment is that I wanted to learn more from them. And in particular, I wanted to learn more from my main mentor, the professor that I was working under. And he was keen to have me on board. And I thought, you know what, this would be fun. I'm not quite ready to just enter out into the big bad world and work five days a week earning a living. Uh, I quite would like to enjoy hanging around and learning a little bit more from my mentors if I can. And so that was the main reason I took the job uh, at the university after I qualified to hang around to to learn a bit more from my my colleagues. Um, and at the time, it was an it, it wasn't actually directly teaching at that time. I was actually treating patients, but was still in the department and was still sort of exposed to these people. But after about a year of of that particular role, it was put to me: Look, why don't you hang around for a bit longer? Why don't you get into teaching? And I accidentally stepped into that role, if you like. But my main reason initially for staying was to try and learn more myself. And the irony is that um, once I got involved with teaching, it really fundamentally changed my outlook on my entire career because you're responsible for people's training. And when they are challenging you, asking you questions, reading the latest research, coming to you with ideas... You've got to be constantly 
on top of these things, on top of the latest thoughts, on top of the latest research, in order to be able to answer those questions in an objective, rational sort of way. And I found it was very stimulating, first and foremost, to be involved in doing that. I found it was rewarding because I felt like I was giving something back to those students. But ultimately, I was probably learning just as much off them as they were from me, uh, because you know they are the ones that are reading papers day in, day out, till the early midnight hours um, to try and keep ahead on what's the current research and so on. So I was equally learning just as much from them as they would be from me. And I would say sort of professionally, that sort of set the tone for myself as to how I felt I should structure the rest of my career, that I, I wanted to constantly be challenged and constantly challenge myself to learn more and more. And even though I may have had 101 qualifications under my belt, it really made me realise there's so much more to, to learn and, and there's so much value in continuing to educate yourself and develop yourself. Um, and that cycle should never really stop. Uh, and, and that's what brought me to teaching. And, and although it's just a, a small part of my, my, my weekly routine, it's something that is probably the highlight of my week. It's something I really look forward to professionally. It's my Monday. I start Mondays in the hospital teaching um, and that's my, my highlight of my week. As well as teaching, you were on the lecture circuit a fair amount. Is that right? Yeah, so I have to uh, lecture to, directly to those students or postgraduates that I'm training and teaching but I'm also involved in a couple of courses that we run that are sort of national courses for other trainees and they're quite big events for us in our department and I've been very lucky to be involved in that as well as uh, occasional conferences where I might have to give seminars or lectures to the people that are there basically so yeah it's um, you know teaching is uh, both lecture based as well as clinically based teaching as well I, I mean I know how passionate you are and how much you enjoy being in front of a crowd but how <laughs> has the pandemic changed that for you because obviously a lot of events if not all events have been cancelled how have you adapted to be able to still teach and deliver information education to people it has a big impact uh, on, on so many different sectors but yeah, the, the, the lecture circuit in dentistry is massively affected because there is very little, if any, direct face-to-face -face conferences being conducted at the moment. So um, last year, certainly, we had one of our major courses cancelled. A lot of the teaching obviously was moved to online, if not the majority of it was moved to online which will be via Microsoft Teams or whatever platform is, is, is required to deliver the content. And of course, all the conferences that I would normally attend, and in a year I would probably routinely attend three conferences a year, and they're big moments for me educationally. That's you know the ability to network with other colleagues from around the world, the opportunity to hear people speak um, with new ideas and new innovations. Those things all stop the, the actual conferences as such stopped a lot of it was moved to online that was okay I would say but of course you know learning doesn't just happen sitting in a lecture theatre hearing someone talk you know learning happens by having conversations with people um, where you share ideas after the conference you know you might go for for a drink with your colleagues or go for a meal you know a lot of shared ideas and, and innovations will come through those natural social interactions which we are just not able to have and that's a big shame and that's probably the 
one of the big things that I certainly miss because that's a, you know a really key thing for me. I love to go to my annual conferences, hear the latest things that are going on, and also just meet people from the trade. You know, there'll be new equipment, new materials. Those kind of things are far easier to do in person. You know, you can't you can't assess the quality of a product that you're going to have to use with your hands via a, a digital um, brochure. You know, you, you know the look and feel of an instrument is something you need to do in person. And, and, and so conferences, apart from just being a source of education and learning, are also an opportunity for you to buy new products and new equipment, new materials that are going to help you in your clinical practice. Uh, it, it's been a big disappointment to have not had the opportunity to meet so many colleagues that, that I have internationally around the world and that will all naturally hopefully slowly come back but this is all just going to take time for the world to come back towards normality yeah it will come back it's just taking longer than yeah. a lot of us would like again you know I, I know how much you love those conferences because yeah. I've dressed you for some of them which brings me neatly into the tailoring part of the conversation even before I started working with you and making your clothes, <laughs> you've always paid attention to the way that you dress. Yeah. You, you've, you've never looked like someone who's just sort of run through a store and whatever stuck to him is, is what you've ended up wearing. Your choices always appear to be carefully considered. Why is image so important to you? Well, I think that's a very good question. That's a tough question, Bobby. <laughs> And I don't mean that for anyone listening in a he's really arrogant because as he's one of the least arrogant people I know, he's I think gratitude is always the word that I would that springs to mind whenever I'm with you and whenever you're talking about your business and so on. You're always very, very grateful to your customers, to the people around you for I mean, you've worked hard for everything that you you've achieved. So you're you're one of the least I was going to think of a very rude word there. <laughs> You're such a nice guy, really. Oh, that, thank you. That's, <laughs> but, I, that's, um, but I know that image and nice personal presentation put... is something that's very important to you. Yeah, no, it, absolutely it is. And I guess um, why is it is, is something I was asking myself, actually, when you mentioned you wanted to have this conversation. It, it made me think back to, well, why have I always been aware of my appearance in terms of my dress code and, and my appearance and that kind of thing? And I think perhaps that might go back to my background and maybe my culture. You know, I'm I'm a first generation son of a migrant Pakistani family. And, you know, in our culture, clothing is important. In, in, in There are certain events and festivals during the course of the year where it's customary for you to... Uh, we, for, where it was customary for our parents to ensure that you have good new clothes, you know, for, for, for big days like Eid, it was always important that you have brand new clothes to wear when you go to visit your family and, and, and cousins and so on. And so from a very early age, the concept of having nice clothes and the importance of having um, a smart clothing and new clothing for events, and whether it be Eid or whether it be a birthday or a wedding or, or something like that was probably something that was culturally instilled into into us and then growing up like most teenagers I, I had an interest in clothing maybe a bit more than others and I and I think from a very early age I started reading fashion magazines and things like that and I think I've been reading GQ for as long as I can remember and so I was always very conscious of clothing and I always had a desire to have nice clothes in fact 
when I finished my A-levels, one of the first things I wanted to do was get a Saturday job in a clothes shop. They didn't give me a job, but, <laughs> but that, was, that was sort of my um, journey with clothing, if you like, began from an early age. And that continues as you're growing up and getting on in life. But unfortunately, in, in a career like dentistry, clothing's not that important. When you're sat in, in, in a dental chair treating patients, comfort and cross-infection uh, and ensuring that you're in clothes that aren't going to get contaminated uh, becomes uh, the priority. And for a long time in dentistry, that was well recognised. Um, and so the normal clothing and apparel of a dental surgeon or an orthodontist will be a pair of scrubs, which isn't exactly flattering. And for a long time, that's been my day-to-day, -day, well, even to this day, that's all I will be wearing nine to five when I'm treating patients. But it means I, I kind of lost touch a little bit. As my career started to take over, I kind of lost a little bit of contact and touch with my wardrobe. And it would often be like you may say that it might have appeared that I was being conscientious about what I was wearing, but I it really didn't feel that way. The minute a conference would come up or a lecture where I might be giving a talk, I would be scrappling around through my wardrobe trying to make things match and realising how poor my formal clothing wear was, let alone my smart casual wear. Yeah, yeah I was being so, so, <laughs> so I guess, and, and, and from a time point of view, as your career gets busier, your family life gets busier, you just don't have the time to spend the whole of Saturday trawling through the shops to find the 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 the, the right sized blazer or suit trousers so tailoring is something that I'd, I'd i'd often considered when i was sort of younger but but perhaps in those days i wouldn't wouldn't have been able to afford it at that time in my life um but the thought of it when i met you you were you made it you know you you seemed a very approachable tailor and certainly uh, made it uh, less daunting you know, as you know, the, you know, whenever you consider anything new that you don't quite know much about, that concept of, you know, for example, if I was to walk into a tailor in Savile Row, I'd probably feel quite embarrassed. I'd feel a little bit out of place. I'd feel, oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, and that was never the case with you. Uh, and I don't think that's because of a personal relationship. I think you're 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 very open and honest with people generally. You're very uh, approachable, friendly persona as, as as an individual, and I felt that that made it very easy to be able to discuss the difficult sort of things, like you know, will that fit look good on me? Will those colours suit me? This is what I want to wear it for. This is how I'd like to make use of this this piece, and and that helped me, and you helped me to put things together, so I didn't have to think so hard about things on a day to day basis, and and so when those events come up or when those uh, meetings come up I, I could comfortably reach into my wardrobe put something on feel good about it look reasonably good with it on and uh, hopefully feel confident with whatever I was about to do that day. So the reason that you got into orthodontics is the reason I got into tailoring. Wow. <laughs> so if you'd asked me the, the question I asked you at the start of this I would have told you a similar story. Except I didn't meet a tailor when I was about 12, 13 years old. But uh, I'd always had an interest in clothes. I was quite introverted as a child. I think I am 
to an extent quite introverted now. Um, I mean, I'm not the first one in a big room to be bouncing around to people. Uh, I've been, I'm no good at conferences, that's for sure. But for me, I, I kind of just was very interested in the way that clothing seemed to change people's personalities and make them, or could, had the power to make them feel more confident or at least appear more confident. And, and so that's what sort of started my journey into tailoring. And, you know, I don't do it for the glamour. God knows I don't get involved with any industry events and that sort of thing. My main focus is my customers and, uh, and, and the way that they feel when I put a new garment into the wardrobe, including some of the things that you've just described. So it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to hear you say those things. And thank you. I'm very privileged to get to work with people like you. No, not at all. It's actually re. It's it helped me to just feel more passion again for clothes in general. And it was something I was always interested in, but it, it's been great going through, the I think, the last couple of years it's been now that we've been putting things together. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully now when things go back to normal, there'll be more opportunities for more events and more um, occasions where I will be able to wear uh, the, the, the appropriate clothes that I need to and, uh, and expand my wardrobe a little bit more along the way. Speaking of expansion, this is a really rubbish link. <laughs> but anyone who's listened with us thus far is thinking, okay, orthodontist, very good at what he does, very passionate about what he does. He's teaching, he's lecturing, but you've got a third string to your bow. And I mean, you're the consummate ultimate entrepreneur <laughs> because you're also a multi-practice owner. And you're continuing to expand. I mean, Origin Orthodontics, tell me how Origin started and the journey that you've been on up till now. So, you know, my, my journey to becoming an orthodontist was always about being able to practice my career and to help people along the way. Uh, and professionally, that's always been the driver to do what I do. But commercially, things have to happen as well. And, and things have occurred during my career that have enabled me to be in the position that I'm in. And I think the first lucky break that I had was the first couple of practices that I opened with my business partner up in the northeast of England. And that was, uh, that was the beginning of our group of orthodontic practices. And so it was probably about 10 years ago now that we opened the first Neo Clinic. Um, that brand's called Neo Orthodontics. And we opened our first clinic in the northeast of England, uh, myself and my partners. And that was on the back of successful procurement from the, from a procurement that was run by NHS England. And that enabled us to, um, set up uh, a big uh, regional orthodontic service which basically stemmed from the north of the River Tyne right up to the Scottish borders. Um, so we had uh, quite a, a, a big reach, if you like, uh, geographically. And that was a fantastic learning exercise, I have to say, because it helped me to learn how to build a practice, grow a team, what is required in terms of infrastructure, not only from a physical infrastructure point of view, but also in terms of your workforce. And commercially, I learned a lot in, in the implementation of that practice as to actually how to set it up and how to build it from the ground upwards. And that was really uh, probably one of the biggest business learning curves that I've had. Um, and on the back of that, 
Uh, obviously, the northeast of England I love very dearly, but it's far from home. But on the back of that, I was able to uh, acquire and take over two private clinics in London, which is where I personally practice from. And then following on from that, over the last few years, myself and my, my, my main business partner have been involved in expanding the group. Um, and we've recently set up 11 practices in Kent, Surrey and Sussex. And so as a group now, we have probably in the region of 15 orthodontists employed and over 100 auxiliary staff, including nurses, receptionists and therapists, all in, all, all sort of employed by the group. And it's exciting times um, because that, that recent uh, expansion happened uh, in the last couple of years, but also most critically happened just before COVID. So just as we were nearing the the completion of our expansion project, COVID hit us, which is always a challenge and a curveball. But we're coming through that year, and we've got two more clinics coming on to to the circuit that are being finally constructed at the moment. And unfortunately, we've got through this whole year. Uh, with huge dedication from our staff and our team. And of course, as a, in, in healthcare, we are ever grateful for the support that we've had from the NHS because we, in our group practices, provide NHS services and they have stood by us as providers. Um, and in turn, you know, our, our staff have stood by us and um, we're looking forward to 2021. It's a really, really exciting time. I think next week, our, our flagship practice in Brighton City Centre is about to open, which I am really excited about. Oh, wow. Um, congratulations uh, thank you very much as are the team there and so it's been a whirlwind three years of uh, expansion in terms of new clinics being constructed new staff being employed and teams being put together And, and so from a commercial point of view it's been a very very exciting stressful busy and yeah it's been a huge time at the moment and uh, I look forward to next year and in, in terms of having a hopefully a more normal sort of year in which to to allow um, these clinics to to flourish, basically, because although healthcare has largely been allowed to continue, it, it's still been very challenging with so many restrictions and constraints in terms of safety. It, it certainly made it a very difficult environment to practice and incredibly difficult if you are in startup sort of scenarios yeah when i reflect back there's been a lot uh, there are a lot uh, a lot has happened over the last two to three years and, and and particularly over the last year or so um the journey we've been on over the last 12 months has been phenomenal but one thing i would say is that you know i think everybody talks about covid as being a reset button and you reevaluate and you reassess why you do what you do and that that kind of thing and I think for me it's it's equally been on a personal level it's it's involved a bit of reflection as to my career my my personal life my family life and also my my commercial sort of decisions and so on and it's certainly reaffirmed my love of orthodontics um, and that's one thing that has come out of this I may be a teacher I may be uh, an entrepreneur some might say I don't feel like I am one I want to be an orthodontist and I think that's one thing that's been reaffirmed by the whole thing is that I am happiest when I am with my patients and with my nurses helping to deliver outcomes for, for people and, and and I want to try and get back to doing more of that as soon as I can and that's quite hap- that's quite difficult to do when you're having to wear so many hats.
I really love what you said there about COVID being a, a check of your affirmations. Um, I love what I do. Uh, I just needed to be reminded of it. I think because this was just such a big curveball and none of us had really had to deal mm. with anything like this in our lifetimes. We've not had to deal with wars or diseases of this nature. No. And all of a sudden to have the business shut down and not have any guidelines or heads up as to when we were going to be able to reopen. And I was just thinking, is this it? Right. Is this the end? Do I need to go and find something else to do? Mm. And it was only about six or seven weeks in yeah. that slowly I started to just reach back out to customers just to make sure they were okay. I knew no one was going to buy anything, but I just wanted to make sure that people were all right. Because as you alluded to earlier, I've got very close relationships with the majority of our customers. You know, the line between client friendship, it's all blurred. And a few of them, they all said exactly the same thing that, you know, how are you? Let me have a look through the wardrobe. Let me see if there's anything that I can order with you. Because if you go out of business, I don't know what I would do to which my answer was you just go find another tailor and no you don't understand you're my guy I can't do the clothing thing without you what you do for me is so important and that helped me it was basically a kick up the ass and it's what I needed and I was like yeah people actually do need me what we do is worth fighting for and it's been quite an emotional 12 months nearly and I was gonna add that you know when I look back at say what happened in the recession the, the, the fi- after the financial crisis, um, which was really when I started my first clinic, was in the middle of the recession. And at that time, you know, you had a very sharp economic decline in the country. And if you were able to set yourself up during those times, which were very difficult times, and, I, um, and, if, you, and if you were able to set up your business and to, to grow and develop to what you have right now, well, that knowledge and wisdom and experience that you built over all those years is priceless. And so you, your knowledge your wisdom, your experience and the relationships you've built along the way and your client book along the way will hopefully stand the test of time over the next wave of whatever we've got to see ourselves through. So hopefully this also could be an opportunity for you, you know, and I think this about many businesses that are are out there to perhaps use this as an opportunity to get stronger. And I, and I certainly think going into whatever this COVID crisis and whatever the, the fallout from this will be, you're going into it with a, a strong foundation. And, and hopefully that foundation will see us all through this um, difficult time but come out stronger. And and that's certainly the way I'm trying to view it myself within our business. Unfortunately, there will be some losers along the way. And there will be some businesses that can't make their way through this because their foundations aren't that strong. And you have to feel for them. Of course, you have to feel for them. But I think at the same time, there's an opportunity there as well to to try to get through this and come out the other end stronger. Um, and, And that's my hope for for you, um, for myself and for other business owners that are out there to try to focus what advantages you can try to, to gain from this tough time. Um, because if you can get through this, you can get through anything. And, and so can your teams. If your teams can stay with you through this as well, hopefully they will help you to see, um, see, see this through to better times. It's been a period of innovation for a lot of businesses and ourselves included. And, you know, as a customer, um, what we've been up to, you know, people stop buying suits. I think I was affected greatly by some customers. They're the ones who aren't maybe in the friend zone telling me at the start of the pandemic and the very first lockdown, oh, nobody's going to need you anymore, are they? Yeah. And I actually took that. Yeah, that's quite harsh, right? (laughs) 
I actually took that to heart for about five seconds. But people still were wearing clothes. They just weren't wearing suits. So that's, yeah. you know, what you've just talked about is exactly what we did. We looked at what people were wearing and people telling me that they're yeah. living in polo shirts and shorts and chinos and jeans. Well, guess what we introduced? Yeah. And that's not our top earning type of business, but it's in place and it's rock solid now. I mean, polo shirts are still flying out the door. You know, we can't get them to people fast enough. They've become such a popular line, but we didn't have that before. And when our normal business does come back, we'll have all this other stuff that we weren't doing before to add to it. So we should be stronger. In fact, we will be stronger. Yeah. And, and you probably have got, you probably got clients who usually only ever thought about using you for suits and things and perhaps you bought their casual stuff and their sporty stuff elsewhere now have the opportunity to perhaps buy those things from the tailor and that you know and one never thought that that was an option before that you know i certainly didn't know that it was an option until i saw it on your instagram that you know you're doing polo shirts i thought well yeah i wear a lot of polo shirts in the summer that's a good idea because it's always a, a mission to try and find a polo shirt that fits um or, or has the right shape and one that doesn't have a massive force on the front of it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no that that's a that's really really good a good a good approach that you've you've taken there and i'm sure your clients will uh, value that going forwards yeah well we've seen that in other industries during the pandemic as well where you know innovation has led to the survival of i mean look at the restaurant industry the, the food industry in general a lot of big chains that didn't have delivery in their armory have now offered delivery or even online just the fact that so many small takeaway restaurants and so on ha hadn't got an online arm to them now do as a result of that um just uh, yeah it's absolutely phenomenal it's given you given everybody the kick isn't it to to get technology moving and for example in our healthcare sector as dentists we've never really done video consults and that's all we've done like since lockdown it was okay we need to do um we need to keep in contact with our patients uh, and we already did a lot of, we already had in our practice quite a lot of technology to monitor patients remotely from home. So I, I've always been a little bit into technology. And so probably about three years ago, I started um, introducing, I introduced an app into our practice so our patients could submit scans of their teeth and we could keep in contact with them. But we never did video consults. And in fact, I, would, I wouldn't even do a telephone consult as such because I know I was fearful of it. And um, you, you, there's that fear of the unknown even though things like skype facetime uh, video um, networking um, uh, video meeting software have been around for, for years to do that with a potential new patient that you don't know and that you don't have a relationship seemed very very alien to me at the time whereas now it's it's just feels normal you look on the diary and it'd be like Oh, 10.30, you have a video consult with this person who's interested in X, Y, Z. And, and that's just something we've had to adapt to in, in our industry um, very quickly. Yeah, and, you know, talking about technology, you during the pandemic, you also um, decided to get on social media. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know why, but all of a sudden, after posting a couple pictures of you in new outfits and obviously using the orthodontics hashtag, I suddenly got followed by a lot of orthodontists. Right. But the, th <laughs> the thing I love about your Instagram, I mean, Instagram's my favourite of all the social media tools that are available to us because it's so visual and obviously visual is what I do 
in the same way that visual smiles is what you do. But what I notice about other orthodontists when they follow me is that it's just rows and rows of teeth. That's <laughs> not necessarily as beautiful and straight as they are, not necessarily the most attractive thing to look at. Okay, I know that anyone in dentistry deals with teeth, but what I want to see is more of the people that might be drilling into my gums or whatever. The nice thing about your social media, it's a lot more personable than your peers. So we see more of your patients and the results and the, the actual faces behind just the grinning teeth. And we see your staff I would feel comfortable coming to somewhere like Origin Orthodontics because I feel like I've gotten to know everybody. Was that a conscious decision on your part to just go against the grain when it came to social media compared to what your peers have done? First of all, I think um, my, my social media has got a lot to be improved upon. Um, I, I literally only started Instagram just after the lockdown. I've tried to keep a little bit of a mixture, try to get a little bit of personality into it. And that's been difficult because I'm not a very creative person, believe it or not. But that is something that I've often heard said by people on lectures and forums about social media for business use. Try to make it more about your personality, who you are, not necessarily about a whole load of teeth because people want to see the people behind the teeth and people want to see the people that have helped create that. Um, and, and they want to know who you are. And so that is what I am trying to do, Bobby. But I think I've got a long way to go. <laughs> um, I think your social media trumps our professions completely um, because, you know, you get a real flavour of what you and your team do on a regular basis. Mine's very random. I think you're doing a great job. I mean, look, in our business, I mean, social media really is a supplement, right? Because for both our businesses, our client acquisition, for want of a better term, is pretty much identical. It's referral. Yeah. Referral is the, the biggest part of our new business acquisition. And I know it's the same for you as well. But social media, it seems to be necessary because obviously it's this day and age. Both, what, what both of us do is a visual thing. It's about image. So you still need to have some component of it. But it's never the thing that you're going to live and die by. Yeah, no, absolutely. Our um, patients come to us by word of mouth. Fundamentally, that is the key basis by which people find us. P patients come to us because their dentists referred us or recommended us or friends of friends, or family. Uh, and that is the basis of your goodwill. It, it spreads and it takes many, many years to do that. And that's you know why it historically would take several years to, to build a practice because you know, you, you're so dependent on goodwill and word of mouth and so on. Social media, I think, gives you an opportunity to get that out yourself and have a wider reach faster mm -hmm. uh, and certainly the the next generation of orthodontists and dentists it, it comes as part of the the, the course they, they graduate from dental school um, and next thing you know they're becoming experts in instagram but it comes much more naturally to them because they've grown up with it um, and they feel very comfortable with it and uh, there's some, some some brilliant accounts out there that i follow um, and I can certainly see how for the younger generation, that's a brilliant way of them getting their name out, their personality out, their work out um, and accelerate their growth. And so in that sense, I think it's a very powerful, effective way to, to support um, 
uh, young young businesses, young professionals, and in, in spreading their network and reach. Uh, and as and I guess as a more old school, if you like, or established um, professional, that's something that I equally need to be a part of because that's where my patients are. And if I'm not there, I won't get seen. I think that's the thing we've come to realise as well, that our next generation of patients or clients, customers, uh, are this generation that's grown up with social media. Um, You know, our our older clients are starting to gradually retire at the top end. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to be open to all these different platforms. As I say, again, it's no substitute for a good referral system, but it's necessary. You know, we keep working at it. We're the generation of jumpers for goalposts. This is the problem. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's just part of our uh, as part of continued development. And you know, and that's the thing I go back to. You've got to constantly be willing to learn new things, and and this is one of those things that I and I I have to accept. It's a new skill that I've got to develop. And if anyone, I don't know why anyone would have their kids listening to me, but, you know, some of my clients might be listening to this on a HomePod or a Sonos system. Any advice that you would give to any youngsters looking to get into dentistry? Yeah, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good question. I think the first bit of advice is, you know, do your research like anything in, in, in this world. If you're considering applying for university and you're thinking about your choices, do your research, go to open days at, at the d- various um, dental schools and universities, speak to people maybe a couple of years ahead of you that might have got into a course and see how, how they found it. What's a lot harder to do these days is to organise work experience, but if it is possible, that can often be a way of just opening your eyes up to what is the life of an orthodontist or dentist or doctor on a day-to-day basis Um, those things are a bit harder to organize now nowadays but if you can get a day or two shadowing somebody that can certainly give you a real insight into the profession and into the career and then i think the key thing that i would say is make sure you do it for the right reasons don't do it because you think it's it's going to be a safe job or don't do it because you think it's going to pay well or you think it's something that's going to stimulate you something you're going to continue to be interested in as you get older something that you're passionate that you could be passionate about because if if the reasons for you studying something or for following a career in something are are, are strong in that basis then it it will be a very fulfilling rewarding long career Um, and you will all enjoy you will always enjoy what you do Um, so I think that would be my advice to any young people considering any career not just dentistry whatever career you're considering to sort of look at it from that perspective yeah that's brilliant thank you no problem and lastly because you're going to have to get some sleep soon it's late (laughs) i can see you're tired (laughs) and i've been learning how to on top of everything else i've got to do i've been learning how to edit audio and edit podcasts it's crazy Uh, and lastly for any anyone listening to this who's running their tongue along their top or bottom row of teeth and wants to get in touch with you, how do they find you? They can find us by Googling us. Uh, you can go to our website, origin-orthodontics.co.uk, or you could DM me on Instagram, Dr. Usman Q Ortho would be 
very happy to speak with you. We have a very simple consultation process online and it's very, very easy and simple for you to use. You can use your smartphone to send me some simple pictures of your teeth and we can get back to you about what your options might be and then talk you through that. Uzi, thank you so much for joining me. Really, really appreciate your time, your words of wisdom, words of hope as well. You've been an absolute inspiration. You're an inspiration to me and I'm sure many of our listeners will get a lot out of our chat today. No problem. It's been a pleasure to join you, Bobby. And I look forward to hearing your your podcasts. I think that's really uh, going to be quite exciting to, to, to hear the series of podcasts you got lined up. And so I just... Uh, I'm very uh, honoured to be a part of it. Thank you. I kind of feel like having you on, I've I've, I've already just hit the highlight already. I don't know how it's going to get better <laughs> than this. No problem. Take care and uh, I will see you very soon, hopefully. Restrictions are, are going to start lifting from next month, so we might be able to get back out on the bikes at some point. I look forward to it. Take care. I hope you got a lot out of that chat with Usman. Not just an orthodontist, but an entrepreneur and educator as well. One of the biggest takeaways for me was just appreciating that the basic principles of starting a business, marketing and growth are the same no matter whether you're an orthodontist, a tailor or anything else. While on the surface two professions can seem very different, what underpins those businesses are a very fundamental set of practices which are essential for success. That's it for this week. We're now available on all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. You can even ask Alexa for me. I want to say a huge thank you to those of you who've supported the show so far. We had a great response to the first episode, and I can't wait to hear what you thought of this one. Please remember to give us a review, and you can also find me on Instagram at Roberto Rivilla London, on Twitter at It's Bobby Rivilla and via our website at www.robertorivilla.london. If you'd like to apply to be a guest on the show, please send me a DM on social or email me via the website. Once more, thank you so much for your support and for listening. I can't wait for you to join me on the next one.